Thank you for tuning in. And welcome to the fourth episode of the 2021 End of Summer Podcast Series, a series where I'm taking a fresh look at the seven most downloaded podcast episodes over the past year, and a series of topics that tie into a greater overall theme of issues and opportunities I see express themselves in leadership teams throughout the industry and across the country, and in both smaller and larger firms. And today's episode, episode 61 with John Ramsdead on living and working on purpose with purpose, is one I was excited to see in the top seven. And again, this episode will follow this fresh introduction in its entirety. So as I re-listened to this episode, one of many conversations I've had with John, so much stood out and even came alive. And to this end, there are five key points I'd like to highlight, and I had a hard time just keeping it to five. Number one, we all seek and want to find purpose. But what does that mean? How can we find it again or for the first time? And once found, how can it be sustained? We covered a lot in this episode, and I don't want to overstate anything, but I truly believe what we talked about and what John shared can be life-changing for us personally, career-changing for us professionally, and organization-changing for those of us in leadership. Being on purpose with purpose, as John describes, is living life fully alive. It is the pursuit of something significant or meaningful, a worthwhile goal or dream we're excited about, but something only 10 to 15% of us are doing. It is the ability to connect our passions with our skills and talents to live what John calls a 10-10 life. It is a convergence of who we are with what we do, and it is making a greater difference for ourselves while positively impacting all those around us. Now, my story, John's story, and the story of so many others related to finding meaningful purpose seems to come later in life, but it doesn't need to be this way. Which brings me to my second point. Younger professionals want meaningful purpose too. In fact, all of our employees do. And nobody wants to wait for a mid-career epiphany to start. And the good news is that nobody has to. That is, if we as leaders and as people managers learn to coach and mentor better and become, as John describes, the boss everyone deserves, which also helps ensure that our best talent is not just a phone call away from leaving. Which brings me to point number three, time is of the essence. As leaders and people managers, we need to have a real sense of urgency about building better relationships and designing better organizational alignment if we wanna be able to win the war for talent and to grow and prosper versus shrink and scramble during what's being called the great resignation. And to do so, our leadership and organizational development strategies and tactics need to expand. Not only do we need to develop an internal culture of coaching, we need to have the courage for giving and receiving critical and candid feedback, sharing and receiving truth and love, and tying what we're doing to what's important to others. The fourth key point that stood out in my conversation with John is that we're always being pushed off course personally, professionally, and organizationally, just like how John describes an airplane is during flight. 
And in order to stay on track, we need tools equivalent to an airplane's autopilot system and a car's GPS, which includes having a true north, a destination, and being clear and honest about where we are now. And whether we have a very specific or just a general destination or vision to start, small steps, especially the plus one steps John describes, can take us there. Which brings me to my final point, needing to slow down to speed up. We need to create more margin in our lives, especially as busy leaders and professionals, to build our awareness, to ask ourselves some tough questions, and to confirm our direction before moving forward. When it comes to living and working on purpose with purpose, it's not about getting busier, it's about getting better. So when looking to wrap up this new introduction, whether we realize it out of the gate, along the way, or as a second chance after something tragic or trauma-filled, finding and stepping into our purpose is an incredible gift. No matter the circumstance, I hope you are as inspired as I am to join or to rejoin the top 10 to 15% and do so in a way that intentionally invests in making all those around us better too. So without any further delay, here's episode 61 with John Ramstead. Thank you for tuning in. So many of us are looking for greater purpose. As leaders and high-achieving professionals, so often busy and consumed, how can we find our purpose again or for the first time? And as leaders, how can we help those on our teams and throughout our organizations find their greater purpose and achieve more as a result? Our guest today on the podcast is John Ramstead. He's an executive coach and leadership expert and the author of the new book, On Purpose with Purpose. John has an amazing story and is on a mission to equip and inspire leaders to accomplish what's been inspired in them and wrote this book to provide us all with a pathway to rewrite our own script in real time in order to live life more fully, both on purpose and with purpose. So without any further delay, let's do it. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we have a real treat. We'll be speaking for a second time with my friend, John Ramstead, CEO of Beyond Influence. John's a former Navy fighter pilot, entrepreneur, and business executive who's now a top executive coach to Fortune 500 companies and the military. John has also founded and hosts a top-ranked leadership podcast and has a new book entitled On Purpose With Purpose, which we'll be digging into today. Welcome back to the podcast, John. Hey, Pete. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. 
Well, uh, it's great to have you back. It's great to see you. Um, anything else you'd like to share or add about your background for context before we dig into um, talking about the book? Yeah, you know, I think with your space, knowing that I, I went to RPI, Rensselaer Polytechnic, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar or even went there, got a, got a degree in electrical engineering. And then um, after uh, seven years in the Navy as an F-14 pilot, I got out and uh, started three different uh, technology companies. The first one was actually a hardware company, um, then a software company, and then um, that all got rolled in together and I went to EMC, which uh, was hardware and software and just working with clients and data centers. And, and then after that, actually, I got tired of the pace. I was working, uh, my, I was managing a large area, five states, oh, hundreds of employees, um, and I was on the road five days a week. So I actually went to a Wall Street firm to use that, my math skills in the finance area, but th that's a little bit of the background. And today, I actually, I love working with engineering companies. I like, I never worked in oil and gas before, very similar culture to an engineering company. And when I got hired by an executive to work with their team, um, I thought it was absolutely fascinating uh, what they did and how they did it as I got to work with the people side of the business. So there's a little background. Great, well, I mean, writing a book um, from personal experience is no small task. Um, why did you write this book? Um, you know, after, well, as you know, and we'll probably dig into this, uh, it was nine years ago, I had an accident that put me in the hospital for two years. It, it was, it should have been life ending. I had required 23 surgeries. And coming out of this accident, I only could literally work a few hours a week. I had a severe traumatic brain injury. Uh, but also, when you know you should have died and you're given a second chance, and you're like, okay, how do I, I didn't see it as the burden, but I saw it as this huge gift. But I'm like, how do I, how do I step into this amazing gift that I was given? Who? What, what kind of life, I, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. So what if I actually just wiped the whiteboard clean and said, if I could be the person I'm really meant to be, that best version of myself, and do what brings me alive and, and, and put aside all the constraints that I thought I had with my job, my business, my career, my thinking, my relationships, um, what what possibilities might that open for me? And it was this amazing journey that led me to what I'm doing now and has become the framework of how I work with my clients. You know, one of my clients is the chief operating officer of one of the, the largest companies in the country. This was not about him, you know, switching jobs and, you know, making this huge transformation, but it was about, he came to me and said, hey, how do I become a better version of myself so that I can lead my people better? I can connect people to purpose. I, he, he's an engineer. He's very transactional kind of guy. Having a conversation like that, that he kind of saw as the people side of things for him was uncomfortable. I'll just tell you that right now. It's not his comfort zone, not his default go-to conversation. Checking in on a project plan, sure thing. What we found was over a year of working together, the productivity, the retention, the engagement levels, um, in their organization, everything went up close to around 50%. It was remarkable, but it was through all this that I said, you know what, I need to put this together in a book because this journey for me has been absolutely 
Um, it's been amazing. I had amazing uh, friends and coaches and mentors help me along this journey that sewed into me. I read literally hundreds of books, went to seminars, conferences, and I had to synthesize all that together into a, you know, pieces that work for me. Um, and that's what this is. It's like this amazing, you know, uh, uh, took me two years to write the book. So like a seven year journey where I invested significantly in myself and, you know, you've been to a conference, right? You're there at a three day conference and there's like one thing you write down that you actually bring back to the office. Well, that's what I wanted to put in the book where what were those actual things? Um, not only what I did, but how I did it and when I did it. Cause I think certain things need to precede others to get optimum results. Hmm. So that help? that. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, so that's the sort of if, if you could start over again or have this second chance. Here, here are all the tidbits I've learned of 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 how to do that and what that might look like. You know, moving forward, you you begin the book with the line, um, "You want to live a fully alive life." What do you? Why did you start the book like that? What What did you mean by that? And how do you define a fully defined life? Um, based on where you've been and, and how you work with people? Well, so this was fascinating, Pete. I, when I was starting Beyond Influence, and I knew I only could, I only could work limited time, so I wanted to coach leaders. I had so much experience, and I had so many amazing mentors in my military and business career, all the way throughout, from the lowest level to the highest level. And so what I did was I, I knew that um, I went and called 10, uh, 10 CEOs and I said, can I have 20 minutes of your time? I just want to interview you um, because what I wanted to ask them is say, what's going on in your world? What's keeping you up at night? What are you excited about? Because I wanted to see if these CEOs were somebody I really wanted to spend my time and talent helping. The thing that struck me, because I reached out, uh, five of these folks I knew that were CEOs, five I didn't. And they were all different faith backgrounds. I think half were really strong uh, Christians and the other half, uh, not at all. I mean, so, was, I mean, this was a, a, a cross the board. I got to tell you, one of the things that stood out to me that every single person said that was unprompted and unscripted when I'm asking them about where they want to be in the future, they all said something almost verbatim that, hey, I would like to live life more fully. I would like to live life fully alive. Um, I would like to just feel like I'm living life on my own terms. I just know that I'm not doing it. I have no idea what it looks like, and I have no idea how to get there, and I'm frustrated. And I could 100% um, relate to that because before my accident, you heard me talk the other night, I described where I was of this place of smoldering discontent. And so what is a life fully alive, right? It is, I believe, when you really understand uh, what your passions are, those things that, that do bring you alive. They're, they're not like, it's those bright moments. Like this happens and like you're excited. Maybe it's out fly fishing or you got a deal done or you just mentored somebody on your team and you saw them you know, you threw them into the deep end and they actually excelled. Or you see your kids make a decision on their own. Like my son, he wants to play professional baseball. It's always been, you know, what he talks about. But when he made this choice and he's literally working out twice a day now, like 10, 11 workouts a month on his own and he is progressing. But you see, you know, like your son, because uh, we had a lot of like almost coaching conversations to connect the work and the outcomes. 
And then I left it up to him to, you know, to move that into what he had to do. But anyway, when you know your purposes, when you really know who you are, when you strip away some of these, I think, limiting beliefs and experiences that might define you and, and how we are, you know, because I really believe, Pete, our inner game determines our outer game. That's what I work on is that inner game, how we think, how we see ourselves. Do we know our core values? And when all this comes together in this place I call convergence, and you're moving forward intentionally. I was actually thinking about this the other night. When I was at RPI, I was, I don't know, I think I graduated with about a 3-1. I, I had to keep a 3-0 to keep my Navy scholarship. I did what was required. Now, when I went down to Navy flight school, because this is in the late 80s, Top Gun had just come out. And we were told going in that only one out of every 10,000 people is going to fly a fighter. Dude, I so was laser focused and had a worthwhile goal and dream that I was excited about. I was intentional about everything that I did. And I ended up graduating number one. And my question is, after that in my life, I've had a few moments and periods where I had a really defined kind of long-term goal that was driving me, but it wasn't very often, to be honest. I bet if we polled the audience, because I have, and I said, right, who is right now in the middle of pursuing a significant, worthwhile, long-term goal or dream? Not just hitting a number at your company, not just doubling your revenue, What? right? I'm talking about something that's meaningful to you personally. Like if you doubled your company, what would that do for you? Sometimes I even have to ask a question like that five, six, seven times to get to something that connects at the, at the core. And what I have found is a less than uh, 10%, I would say 10 or 15% of the people are actually pursuing something like that. So I think that's what it means to live a life fully alive. You know who you are. You know why you're doing what you're doing. You know what to do, and then you can, and then all of us can figure out how to do it. Mm, so, really, the, the the purpose behind having those goals, and the, and this this book is about, you know, finding and and getting on purpose and succeeding with that inner game and inner game. And there's so much I'd love to dig into that we're probably not going to have time to get into. But um, I do have some specific questions or areas I wanted to ask you about the book, but. Um, before I do that, I, I wanted to ask if you could kind of give an overview of, of, of some of the highlights of the book. And, but before you do that, I, I, it's interesting. You use some great imagery in the book, and it, it's about, you know, being a pilot. Um, and interestingly, I don't know if it was serendipity or just a coincidence, but the weekend I read your book, um, my wife and I, it was Saturday night, and we were kind of flipping through and said, do we want to watch a movie? And we just sort of looked and see what was on TV to watch a movie. And Top Gun was starting in like 10 minutes, and we watched... I'm like, hey, this is interesting. And we hadn't watched it in a while, so we watched it. But I will say um, the imagery you use and some of the examples you talk about, about you know, land, landing a fighter jet on an aircraft carrier and the training, it came alive because I had just happened to watch Top Gun that weekend. And you know, obviously the movie version of it and it, things are probably much different in real life. But anyway, I want to say that the, the book was spot on. And I, I felt like I was there with you in some of those moments in the book um, with the imagery you used. Um, so I wanted to say that. So that being said, um, how can you give an overview of the book? Yeah, here's, I think the best way to give an overview is uh, think about this. Uh, the last time all of us were flying on a commercial airliner, 
whenever that might have been. And you're sitting up there at altitude and, um, and uh, the crew has the autopilot on. So Pete, uh, what percent of time do you think that airplane is on course? Now, I know you read it in the book, the number in the book, but before you read that, what would you have guessed maybe? And the um, listeners can say, hey, well, I'm hoping it's 100%, right? It's the autopilot or maybe it's off a little bit. But the truth is that that airplane is on course less than 3% of the time. Now, don't let that be unnerving, but think about it. You're constantly being buffeted by winds, right? The center of gravity is changing as you burn fuel. The engines are turning. People are walking up and down the aisle. The airplane is everything in the environment is constantly pushing it off course. And it's no different than us as we go through our lives. Look at what happened with COVID, you know, remote working, relationships, health, all this stuff is constantly pushing us off course. And if you actually go and you look at how an autopilot works, it needs three things to be able to work properly. And the first one is it has to have a navigational reference. It has to know where true north is to set that initial course. And then if it's off course, to have a reference to be able to course correct back to where I want to go. Now, we need a true north in our own lives. Whatever that happens to be for me, it's definitely housed in where my faith is. But we have to have that reference. We have to have clarity on what that is. And that is a, a big part of the book. Now, the, the second thing an autopilot needs, think about it. You get, you get into your car to go somewhere and you pull up, whether it's Waze or Apple Maps, right? And um, you put in, what's the first thing you do when you pull up a nav app to go drive somewhere? Pete, what do you do? You put in your destination. Where are you going? Yeah, it has to know your destination. Or it's just going to be a map, right? And so what does that destination look like in our life? And, right, what does it mean, you know, and part of what I looked at, right, when I was 45 years old and had this accident, I started saying, hey, what, you know, if it had been my funeral that day, what would people have really said? Now, at the front of the church, everybody says nice things because that's what you do, right? My question was, hey, what would they start saying a year or two years later? Oh, he was a good guy, you know, worked hard, right? Um, you know, so anyway, Pete, how's business with you? Like, what was the legacy I would have left? What is that destination that I wanted to go to? And then I sat down and said, okay, since I get to rewrite the script, and I didn't know I had the permission or the power to rewrite the script at the time. I sat down and actually went through an exercise and wrote the obituary and I have not shared it with my family members or close friends that I want my wife, each one of my three boys, my daughter-in-law, my friends, my coworkers to say about me. That was a, an amazing starting point. I got to tell you, it was eye-opening. And I'd shared that with a few very close wingmen, so to speak, and given them permission to check in with me. Like, are you headed toward that? And then the third thing it needs is you, it needs to know your present position, right? It's got to sync up with GPS because think about how many times you've put in that destination. It doesn't know exactly where you are. So you're, you know, you're leaving the, the shopping mall and it has you go the wrong direction. Then you got to loop all the way back around and you're in a hurry and how frustrating that is. Or you're driving down the highway and it loses sync and it, you, you don't know where the exit is you're supposed to take. So we have what you have to know exactly where you are now. And what I mean by that, and this is, I think, fundamental to my philosophy that runs through this book, that in the whole world of leadership, 
we talk about, or really the industry talks about the why, the what, and the how constantly. And while those are important, there's something foundational that does not get addressed very much. And that is the who, who you are, who you are today versus that best version of yourself. Because I know your success you had in the engineering field in building and running and growing your company before you did what you're doing now. And let's just say I'm an up and coming engineer and I have somebody who wants to join me and I come to you for mentorship. You could give me your best advice, your best mentorship. But if I have a flawed person, I'm reacting to people. I'm not showing up well in meetings. I get frustrated. Um, I make bad, I make decisions out of fear. I am not going to get the results that you got. So what I realized was for me to get different outcomes and different results, I had to work on me, myself first. And I got to tell you something that was interesting prior to the accident, Pete, I spent years trying to figure out what is my purpose. I, I, I honestly, I felt like it was this buried treasure that was hidden from me. I really never felt like I connected to it. And what I realized was I was doing the process backwards because when I worked on what is that best version of myself and I started making small little strides toward that and making changes, that notion of purpose or calling or whatever you want to call it, for me, it's like the mist just cleared and it was right there in front of me. It had been the whole time. And I got to tell you, man, that was liberating. And then I was off to the races. So it seems so. So with the first element, you know, finding your true north. I mean, it does. It, it seemed like from reading the book that that was. It is finding out who you are. You know, and, and kind of what you're made to do, um, and something that's discoverable. Um, is is that how you see sort of the the digging in to find your true north? Yeah, I think you know. I think where it honestly starts is our identity, our self identity. I think I think that's just a great place to start because think of identity. It's really formed, I think, from three different areas. Um, all of our experiences as we've gone through life, our failures, our successes, right? It's formed from what people have said to us, right? Like, hey, John, you'll never be good at public speaking. That's been said to me in the past, right? John, you're not very good at, you know, working with um, certain kind of people or certain teams, right? And, and you hear that from maybe somebody you respect and it, it just... You try to, maybe you try to dismiss it, but it kind of sticks in there and it forms this narrative. And the third thing, which is really insidious, and that's what we think other people think about us, right? Maybe you're in a meeting, you don't get a lot of interaction with your boss or, um, and you make a comment and they kind of lean back, cross their arms and roll their eyes, right? I could interpret that as, well, he thinks I'm an idiot. Maybe he, maybe there was something else going on that I didn't even know, but all this kind of reinforced, all this stuff is self-reinforcing. And so what I had to do is actually say, are there lies that I have let in and accepted as truths about me that I have to root out? And I found out there was a lot of them. And so I honestly started there to get, you know, if you, if you think of emotional intelligence, this is really a deep dive into emotional intelligence because the first step of emotional intelligence is self-awareness then the second one is self-regulation 
And I, I think honestly being in, so here's interesting, Stanford Graduate School did the study and they interviewed thousands of leaders across business, religion, government. They, they looked, I mean, across, right? In every possible personality style from, from uh, uh, who was the guy from Apple? Steve Jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Very introvert, very driven guy to very laid back, extroverted, gregarious, right? Uh, they looked across the spectrum. Uh, they wanted to see if there was one thing. Was there one common denominator across all these leaders who had phenomenal success, regardless of their personality type? And they did. They found one thing. And the one thing was self-awareness. So just Those knowing what you are, no, no matter your personality, as long as you know what your personality is, that was the key to being successful. Yeah. And not just your personality, but, you know, hey, yeah, that's my personality. I'm, I'm wired this way. Um, also, uh, what are my beliefs? What are my core beliefs? And am I in touch with them? What are my core values? And do I honor them and how I live? Because I honestly think the farther apart your the person you are today is in that person you were that best version of yourself, the bigger that gap, the more stress and anxiety and discontent that you feel. So if you're stressed out and you're anxious and you're uh, frustrated um, and you want to have less of that, what I found was when I closed that gap, that stuff for me um, went virtually went away. And in, well, in the book, you talk about self-awareness um, is about being honest with yourself. And maybe that's the, you know, helps close the gap and, and that all feedback is relevant. I mean, how have you seen that play out with, you know, people who might be self-aware, but then how do you close that gap to be actually self-aware and in, and in touch with um, your values and, and who you are? Well, you know, it's interesting when I do training, like for a leadership team, I always ask them that question. Who here thinks all personal feedback is relevant? And it's usually about, oh, I don't know, 60, 70% or more say it's not, uh, you know, because it depends on the person and their motive and their agenda and all these things. My opinion is that all feedback is relevant because here's why. That's how other people are experiencing me. That Now, that doesn't mean, Pete, that I have to make a change, right? But it does mean that's how they think I'm showing up. And maybe that's how I want to show up. Or if enough people are giving me this feedback and I'm hearing it from people, I'm like, you know what? That's an area that I might need to change. Like when I was in business, right? I was a, I'm very transactional. I'm a driver. I'm very results oriented. Um, the feedback I got from some of my folks is that I'm not approachable. Now that was very counter to how I like to see myself as kind of the fun guy, right? Work hard, play hard kind of the, you know, that came out of my time in the Navy. And what I realized was, is what was it that made them feel that it was not comfortable to approach me? And I asked, and I had to work on it, and I got some feedback, and we made some changes. And, um, and I got to tell you, it just, even that, that was even before my accident, that completely changed the dynamics that were happening on that team. This actually was a large organization that I was running. And that what happened was I saw as I changed, that affected how the people that were reporting to me were leading. They started getting better. And then they started doing that with their people and so on and so on. And I saw that as I made changes as the leader that were positive, we actually got more work done and had more fun 
And it was honestly pretty eye-opening. But being able to receive that feedback, especially some of the stuff you might deem as critical, I wasn't very good. If I had to rate myself on a scale of one to 10 on taking what I perceived as critical feedback, I wasn't very good at it. Now, my boss was good at giving it because that's kind of his nature. I had to, you know, you, you don't sit there and get in an argument with your boss that, you know, you're wrong. But, you know, he came up to me once and said, I'd love to promote you. But all your peers, all these other managers, if I promoted you, I think you're the right guy, but I think they'd all quit. Because you can be arrogant. And you, yeah, they like having a beer with you, but they wouldn't work for you. And I want to work with you and mentor you and help you so that I can promote you down the road. I got to tell you, that was really hard to hear because that's not how I saw myself. But I stepped into that and this guy, John Hanlon, uh, mentored me and and helped me make some changes that were profound uh, in my career. That was one of the inflection points where things really started taking off. And you know what? And I got to credit him too. When you're in that position to mentor others, sharing the truth in love, because I knew the guy wanted the best for me in the organization. Um, you know, those conversations have to take place. I really think I really think so. There's been times in my life where I've gotten that kind of feedback, and um, it, it's made a huge difference. And do, do you feel as though like that having that relationship um, to be able to have those, those conversations, you know, of, of, of truth and love are, are going to lead to someone casting off feedback that might be truly relevant or accepting that feedback and, and we're kind of working on, you know what, I don't want to be seen an experience that way. So therefore, I'm going to validate this and sort of move forward faster. Do you think that relationship is, is key? Well, the relationship is key, but I also think it's important for us as leaders to tie that to what's important to that person. Because when we work on being more self-aware, understanding our values, what, what is our purpose and why we're doing it, we're not only we're going to do better work, but then that informs us how to do that with others. So if I came to you, Pete, and I said, listen, you know what, here's where you are with, with your company right now. You know, what are your goals? What does it look like? What does that do for you personally? Hey, can I throw something out? I actually think you can do more than that. What would that do? And let's say you're getting all, you're getting all pumped because this is all connecting with you. We're having this great conversation. Then it gives me permission to share. Pete, can I share something with you that I think might slow you down or hold you back from really accomplishing that? There's some things that I've observed working with you um, that if you made some changes, I think could accelerate some of your results. Now, so what I'm doing is, yes, I'm sharing the feedback, but I've also just had a conversation with somebody to connect the change that's coming that they might not be aware of yet to something that's important to them, like my son, baseball. When we really sat down and talked about uh, if he really wants to be um, a candidate for a Division I baseball scholarship and have a shot at going to the MLB, you know, what would that mean for him personally? Why would he do that? Like he was just average. I mean, he was average, good player, top third, but nobody, anybody would scout tell you that, you know, two years ago. Um, but when he connected the dots to putting in the work to getting something that was really important to him, we got clarity on the goal first. Then we had able to have a candid conversation. Then he was also, uh, his coaches had been giving him input on things he needed to do that he hadn't been doing. Totally 
total turnaround. He now goes to his coaches and checks in and says, this is everything I'm doing. Would you make any changes? How can I do this better? What are you seeing? Right? And, and we can do the same thing with the, the, the folks that work for us, whether it's in our family or at our company. I, well, I wanted to ask you how, how purpose is tied to passion and, and maybe do it in the context of you have this really neat graph um, in, in the book that you talk of. And it's, um, you know, it, it relates, you know, your, how, how we become hundred percent alive, you know, what, or how we find our purpose and our calling and on one side of the graph, it's sort of our, our use of our personal assets, our talents and our skills. And on the, and the, on the other axis um, side of the graph is our, is our passion. How, how could you describe that graph and, and, and how passion finding out, you know, how you're leveraging your skills um, and your, and your talents with your passion kind of leads to purpose. Yeah. So um, of course I'm an engineer, so I got to create a graph, right, Pete? So on that X axis, access is passion. So think of it from one to 10. And then the Y axis, like Pete said, is those talents, those skills, those personal assets that you have. Think about that going up from one to 10. So I was working with the, uh, uh, well, well, first of all, for me, right before I had that accident nine years ago, um, I was running a, a large team. We were doing awesome. But when I kind of stumbled across this concept, I, I graphed myself. I said, my passions on a scale of one to 10, this job, my life, how much am I incorporating those passions into what I'm doing? And I put myself at about a three on the bottom. And how much am I tapping into my talents and my skills at this job? I've been doing it for nine years, right? But I put myself at about a, honestly, at about a seven. So seven times three is 21. Now think about it. The whole, this whole thing, right? I could be 10 at passions and 10 on my, my personal assets. 10 times 10 is 100. So think, I mean, no matter, I've, no wonder I felt like this burning and smoldering discontent because I knew I wasn't living a full life. I knew I wasn't living into my potential. I didn't know why. Now, passions are those things that bring you alive. It's why you get up in the morning. It's those, those bright moments in your life that are so exciting. Uh, that gives you the energy, the motivation to move toward that 10-10 life, that life, what I would call fully alive. So as an example, I was, I was working with a CEO and I said, you know, what are you passionate about? Because we're, we're going through this exercise. Well, the first thing he says to me is fly fishing. I'm like, okay, awesome. Let's write that down, fly fishing. What is it about fly fishing that you're passionate about? He goes, sometimes just getting away from the world and being out in nature, it's this time I get to talk to God. Like for me, that is just, man, it, it is just recharges my battery. All right, awesome. So being out in nature, talking to God, is it some, oh yeah, like lights up. So what else is going on when you're fly fishing? He goes, I got to tell you, I bring up uh, business partners, um, uh, customers, vendors, my kids, my adult sons. And it's just the two of us sitting there on the water all day. And we're having these deep, meaningful conversations and I get to mentor them. Like you, yeah. So you love mentoring what even, even your customers and your coworkers and everybody, not just your kids. Like, oh my, he lights up again. Okay. Would you say you're passionate about having meaningful one-on-one -on -one conversations with others 
and mentoring them. He said, yeah, absolutely. Okay, good. They're, so all these things are clues. I said, what else is going on? So then he describes one of the, there's a charity he volunteers for. It's called Living Waters or Healing Waters. And they bring vets that have been really wounded up into the mountains and teach them how to fly fish, right? Just to get them away from their environment. A lot of these guys have uh, PTSD. And he said, I love teaching these guys how to fish. And, I'll, and man, when they catch that first big fish and they're holding it and we get to take the picture and we're all smiling. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And I said, would you be, do you, would you say that you're passionate about teaching people a skill, seeing them use that skill and succeed at it in a way that's important to them personally? He goes, oh, absolutely. And I said, any of those elements, are they, do they exist right now? Because he was pretty discontent in your role as a CEO. He goes, no, that's not how I operate. I'm I'm busy. I'm getting stuff done. I'm running meeting. I'm going from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. Now, over the course of about six months, we, we worked together to redefine his role as the CEO, where he would step more in a role of coaching and mentoring his executive team so that he wouldn't have to run from meeting to meeting to meeting. He was going to equip and inspire and teach and train them how to do it better. It, uh, for him, it was a game changer, but connecting to those passions, because it was, it was some big changes for the company and him and showing up in his role, having those conversations with people. Um, but that gave him the energy to move forward. And then those personal assets, when you really understand who you are, what you're good at, right? You have those skills, things that you've learned, you have those what I would call in the book talents, those things that you're just naturally good at, right? You have your, uh, whether you do strength finder or personality test, those inform you how to move toward that upper right of the graph, that 10, 10 spot. So I believe you need both of those working together to inform you how to move up into the right. And what I would also say, if, you know, if, if somebody drew this out, um, for me, moving diagonally, trying to increase into my passions and more into my skills at the same time was a little difficult. So what I started focusing on, this is for me, Pete is a plus one. Do I move to the right into my passions right now? And what does that look like? And how would I know? Or maybe for right now, because the work demands are so high, how do I just move a little bit more into my own talents and skills? And then, and then I'll move into my passions. But I want to constantly using this concept of a plus one to move up and right and up and right. And as I approach that 10-10 area, what, I, what that did for me was actually then expand more possibilities. It almost felt like the graph got, was, was made bigger. And now I had more room to grow. Well, great. Well, thanks for, for talking through that, because I, I think it, it's a great visual that ties in a lot of what you just said. Uh, and that example, I think, is very powerful because it's, you know, the, the skills and the, and the talents for mentoring were there, just needed to be applied in a new context that also increased passion in that context, in this case, the context of work. What, one of the other things that stuck out, struck me in the book was uh, you're talking about, you know, in terms of finding your destination and um, having a vision and that you had said that, um, that you have to take vision personally. Um, what did you mean by that? Because, you know, either 
other people make plans for us that we go out and execute or we make plans that we execute. And I think this vision where we're going, it's either one of your own design. And if we don't have a design, others are going to fill in that gap and tell us where we're going, if that makes sense. So vision, I really think is this, it's, it's not, it's not something you really can accomplish. It's way off in the distance at the horizon. Like a big part of my vision is, uh, you know, equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what's been inspired in them, right? That doesn't have an end date. That's not an expiration. That's not a goal that I can hit. It's actually open-ended. So like when I'm 90 years old, I actually just interviewed a guy in my podcast, Pete. It was powerful. I got introduced to him. A friend of mine called me and said, hey, the guy who's been mentoring me my whole life, amazing human being. He has terminal cancer. He has about a week to live. He's mentored thousands of leaders. He's one of the most impactful people you've never met because he's a kind of behind the scenes guy. guy. His name was Pete also, by the way, Pete Kettler. And um, he just, that was what he did his whole life. And even his last week of his life, he was out having conversations, going on interviews like my podcast. It was powerful for me. I went over to his house and we did that together. And the joy that was in, even though he had a week left to live, the joy that was just in his eyes because of how he lived his life and the relationships he had with his kids and his wife was, was just ins inspirational to me. And, and so that's why I think you have to take this concept of vision personally because um, it really ties in you know, to, your, to everything, your true north, your destination, who you are, why you're doing it. I, I, th I think it's pretty foundational. And for a lot of people, just walking through what that is for me uh, can be a challenge. That's why I wrote the book, because I actually found there's ways to get there. Well, and you, I mean, you talk about small steps. So, I mean, how, how do you think about taking small steps? I mean, you talked about the plus one. Is it small steps to find this vision or when you have this vision, you take small steps to get there or a combination of that, of, of, of doing that? How do, you, how do you see small steps? And, and when you talk about taking small steps, what do you, what do you mean as, in terms of you know, finding purpose and you know, living on purpose with purpose? Well, you know, for me, the, almost the, I think we overestimate what we can accomplish in a year and underestimate what we can accomplish maybe over 10 years. So I actually had to give myself some permission that, you know what, this is going to take some time. This for me involved a lot of personal growth and some personal change, right? Just how I worked with my wife, uh, my relationships with my kids, um, how I was making decisions in the business. So my focus is really on the present. I mean, you think about it coming out of my accident, I could work just a few hours a week. Um, I'd been in the hospital for, um, and then recovering for almost two and a half years. I had no money. I hadn't been paid that whole period of time. And I wanted to build a coaching business. So the only thing I could focus on is what is maybe one thing I can do today to, you know, try to build this thing. Is it to write one article? Is it to reach out to one person and have a conversation, see if I can be useful to them? Is it to um, read a book on relationships 
and look at, instead of just reading the book, for me, some of those small steps would be like, okay, what is a change that I can make today? Can I go really, like one of the things early on, Pete, as an example, was I wasn't very affirming to others, right? It was all about getting stuff done and, you know, what that should be the reward. That was always kind of my mindset. I don't know whether it's a generational thing or more me. And I read in a book that I was reading about how powerful affirming others are, looking them in the eye, telling them something honestly about what they did and how you appreciate it, affirming a character trait, uh, a work habit. Uh, maybe maybe somebody who's not even your best uh, performer, but you saw them go over and encourage somebody who was having a tough day and maybe got a, hit a project milestone. And so one of the things I said, I'm going to just work on today, that one small step was affirm three people, whether, even if it's the barista at Starbucks. And can I make this a habit? Because I know that this is going to help me on this journey toward where I'm going. And so if I break things down into kind of like these day tight compartments of what are those important things that I need to work on today for myself and, and moving toward that vision. If I didn't do that, it's so easy. I get 300 emails a day. I mean, um, I have, I don't know, five to eight meetings a day on my calendar. If I could easily just go with the flow of things and then it's a week later and nothing's changed except I got a lot of stuff done, but didn't really move toward what's really important to me. Mm, is, is that how the, you, one of the other concepts um, that, that may tie in here is you talk about the concept of slowing down to speed up. Um, what, what does that tie into being then have, having the mindset and the capability to take the small steps or, or how do you look at that slowing down to speed up? Yeah. Have you ever um, read the book halftime Pete? I have one of my, one of my favorites. Okay. So I, you know, I, I read the book halftime and I went through the halftime Institute and that was really foundational for a lot of the work that I did, but Lloyd Reeb, who's with halftime, who's amazing. I had him on the, a podcast and I was interviewing him and I asked him, I said, Hey, you work, he, he works with some of the highest level executives that are saying, Hey, what does my second half look like? And I, and I asked him, what is the one thing that you think determines success as you see it of people that go through this process and really connect to what that second half is going to be? He goes, um, Oh, he goes, that's easy. They slow down to speed up. And what I'm talking about is, I have to slow down because this was not my habit to actually figure out, Hey, what are my passions? What are my uh, core values? Am I living in them? What are my core beliefs? Can I slow down and really take some of the feedback that I've gotten or that I'm actually, you know, that I sought out and synthesize that in a way that I can actually make some changes. So when I slow down to really build that self-awareness, because I think that's what it takes, I can still get all the work done, but I had to slow down mentally. Um, and, you know, I've never done this before, but a couple of times I've just gone and rented a cabin and gone up there for two days with a journal. I'm not a journaler, by the way. And I just sat there and wrote. I read the Bible. For me, I wrote, read the Bible. I prayed, but I put stuff down in there just to get some awareness to figure out coming out of here, what are the, what are the most important one or two things that I need to be working on just the next 90 days? 
So I brought everything down. I slowed it down and I brought out my timelines shorter. And then I was able to really focus on things that I knew were going to move me forward. And had I not done that, I think I'd, I, I would not be where I am right now. And I, and I had a very similar experience kind of going through my quote unquote halftime, like how did I want my second half to be? And how did I want to be, you know, how did I want to show up in the world? What impact did I want to make it? And slowing down was absolutely important. And journaling was, I had never journaled until that point. And I wouldn't have made even, you know, not scoffing, that's not the right word, but I would, it wouldn't have been intuitive to me to, to do that. But working through that, and I, I wanted to ask you too, like with the book, you have several exercises in the book that, um, you, you know, force us to write things down. Is, was that part of your process that you, to kind of write things down? Because I know like a lot of professionals, like we don't really write things down in a personal context and, and how we want to, but do you think that's essential? How important do you think it is to write things down as we're kind of working through finding our purpose, you know, getting back on or finding it for the first time? Well, let me ask you, since you said you started journaling and hadn't journaled before, you know, you know, you were getting questions thrown at you, things that you had to tackle and you were writing them down. What did that do for you? It was absolutely powerful for me. I'm a visual person. And so mm-hmm. for me to like just write down what I was thinking and um, it just now, now I had to solve that problem. I, I could, I, I guess it, it forced me to write down what it is I was struggling with, what it is I wanted. And then I could quickly go into problem solving mode. But, but unless I wrote that down, I was just sort of hopping from thing to thing. Yeah, because you can go through a book like this right? With a process and read it as a book. You don't have to do any of the exercises. What happens though, it's no different when you're, um, and it, it, think about this. If I have an employee that walks in and I tell them what to do, and they've done this under a functional MRI, their brain is in the, the no different mode than watching TV, by the way. But if you come to me and say, Hey, John, how do I do this? And I ask you a question, and, I, and it forces you to think, or you have to write it down because you're going to maybe share it with somebody you're doing this with, or even just yourself. You don't have to share it. The brain absolutely lights up under functional MRI. You're creating new neural pathways. You're thinking. It's forcing you to pull out past experiences and apply it in the present. And I, I think it's a critical point. So I wanted to make the book kind of like what we did all of our training in the military, right? We'd learn something, and there was always a checklist, So if you really want to, let's say on the identity chapter, really want to dig in and kind of uncover who is that person you see in the mirror and who is that person who's the best version of yourself and get that clarity so you can actually now actually take some concrete steps to close that gap. I wanted to put the questions in there for people to to work themselves through the same ones that I worked through myself. But yeah, I, I think writing the act of writing it down with a pen on paper or pulling up OneNote and keeping a journal. I think writing it down is even better, but I, I, per, I, I like using OneNote um, is, is meaning. And then going back and looking at what you said three months later, and it's like, wow, have I made some progress? I can celebrate a little bit of a win here. Or I'm looking back through all my entries. And for me, as I work through things like this, I'm like, wow, there's some themes that are standing out to me about how I'm showing up that I didn't notice before. I wonder if that's one of the reasons that I'm not getting the, the outcomes that I want to get. So for me, I got to tell you, the process, even though it wasn't who I was before this, was really valuable. And I would agree from, you know, I can go back to things that I started 
you know, writing about seven years ago and it helps to keep me on tech because I felt I was really in the zone and it helps me to stay on track. And I can say, I can't, I can't remember writing that, but I'm glad I did because I have almost no <laughs> recollection of that, but it's documented now that that's how I was thinking and feeling at that time. And that's why I made decisions the way I did to go in a new direction. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's very powerful. Um, one of the, the ideas you've, you've mentioned a couple of times um, is you've talked about smoldering discontent. Um, how do you define that? And how do you seeing how do you see that playing out with um, people that you coach or, or people that you run into? Well, think you know if anybody out there listening, just you know think about hey, on a scale of one to ten, ten being that life fully alive, one being you're kind of barely hanging on. Because think about this: before I went through this process, before the accident. Um, I was at the top of my career professionally, my title, my position, my income. I was at every one of my kids' games. I didn't have the time to be a coach just with my work schedule. And I don't think I've ever been more miserable, though. And I, and I couldn't tell you why. So what I did is, for me, is I just got busier. I figured that's what it's going to be. So I started two different nonprofits here in Colorado. And I was on the board of a third. I mean, I was way overscheduled. I was trying to compensate for something I didn't even know what I was trying to compensate for. Uh, my relationship, it, I was just grumpy and negative. I mean, I'd created such a negative environment at home, right? My marriage was suffering. My relationship with my kids is not where it was. And I, I couldn't tell you why. Now think about my graph. Seven times three is 21 on that fully alive scale. I was a 2.1, right? If I was just being really honest with myself, that's not a good place to be. Now, let's say you're working five in your passions and eight, right? What's five times eight? Eight in your skills. You're at a, what is that? 40? 40%. 40%. And if you're feeling a little bit frustrated, that's probably a really good in indication of why. What I have found working with so many leaders, when I start working with people, there's it's very rare if we go through this exercise that I have found anybody above a, a 50%. I think an outlier was 65%. Most people were where I was between 20 to 40% in that range. I was at the low end of that range. And honestly, I think that's why we have so many challenges. And if you think about business, right? If we, if we get better ourselves and we work on ourselves, we can help the people around us do that also. And here's what I'm seeing, especially in the business world and the people I coach, the, the, the pace of change, ch change is constantly happening, right? But that pace of change is accelerated massively. And if we don't figure out how to adapt personally and then lead our team and the individuals that are part of our organization through this accelerated pace of change, here's what I think is going to happen is it doesn't matter um, the quality, we could have the best quality product or service out in the marketplace, but another organization that has learned how to become better and adapt to this pace of change is going to absolutely eat our lunch, even if what they do is not as good as what we do. And that's why I think this is so important right now. And imagine, cause I, I would love to create a movement as we all did this in changing how we lead because we are better versions of ourselves. Imagine if all of our employees on Monday morning couldn't wait to get to work, 
couldn't wait to drive into the office, couldn't wait to flip up teams or the Zoom call to see all their friends and coworkers because they're doing such great work. They know, how, they know their own purpose. They know the purpose of the company and they've figured out how to connect the two. Um, that they know the, the work that they're doing is important, right? That, that maybe we've started a culture of philanthropy that we're taking a percentage of our profits and we're, and we're donating it. We're matching what our employees are doing to different causes in the community. I mean, that's a place I would love to work. Mm. I well, think we it, all deserve a job where we have a boss that we know uh, cares about us as a person, has our back, and is trying to help us be better. And very few people can say they have a boss like that. Well, that brings up, you know, you mentioned, like, there was a story in your book um, of you were taking an unsolicited phone call from a recruiter. Uh, at one point, you were feeling overwhelmed and, and maybe burned out and, and purposeless or, or having less purpose. Um, and almost deciding on the spot that you were going to take a different job um, in, in a way that it could change things. And so that, do you feel, do you see that a lot of professionals um, might be just a phone call away from leaving their present situation if, if they're offered something different? Well, I know I sure was. I mean, I was working literally 80 hours a week. I was on the road four to five days a week. Um, my boss was very difficult. Now in hindsight, um, the guy that took over for me when I left that job, I didn't have a lot of mentors in my life. I didn't really have anybody to reach out to. He's my age. He just retired. Um, but I was also putting up with a lot. That phone call came in right when I, I remember I was sitting at my desk. I just came out of a meeting with my boss and I was just frustrated. It almost felt like, you know, at my breaking point. And he said, hey, why don't you completely switch gears and go from technology to finance? This Wall Street firm would love to have you join their team. My answer, there wasn't even thought involved. I said, yeah, let's talk. Which led to me actually leaving and joining this other company because once you do that, you kind of build all the reasons, right? And you rationalize all this stuff. I did not have a framework because I, I didn't know what was important. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know my purpose. I didn't know um, to be able to look at the situations in life and be able to say and what to say yes to and what to say no to. It didn't exist. I didn't have really solid mentorship to reach out to and say, here's what I'm thinking. Maybe my mentor would have said, yeah, best decision ever. He would have looked at me and said, you knucklehead. You, you know what? Here's what I'm hearing, and this is not going to serve you well. I don't know, but I, none of that was in place at the time. And I think having, I think this whole process gives us a framework. Because remember, when we say yes to something, we are saying no to something else. And we don't know really what we're saying no to or what the cumulative effects, because I just kept saying yes to everything. What that did was damage my marriage and damage my relationship with my kids significantly, which has all now been restored and healed. And, and now my, our family's in a place I, that I'd always dreamed about. Honestly, my kids are my best friends. They text or call me every single day, the ones that are not here. And that's what I'd always hoped for, because I never had that relationship with, with my parents growing up. So in that context, because, because you, in that example, you didn't have a context for purpose. So you, you jumped and it wasn't necessarily a better place because you didn't have that context. Um, and the organization lost a great employee. If, if, if I'm an organization and 
I want to, you know, I, I, I've become informed. I want to have more, more purpose in our organization. I want to attract and retain people who are on purpose and, and, and with purpose. And we, we can find that in, in part of our organization. How there's such a momentum and pressure on leaders and organizations today. Maybe not all partners are on the same page, but, you know, given all those pressures that the organizations face and, and the, the momentum of how we've always done things in the past and the need to maybe reimagine work or redefine job descriptions so great employees can have greater purpose and be more connected to the organizations. How, how do you see organizations changing in real time? I mean, is it too much to ask? I mean, from the you know, becoming more purposeful as an organization I, and I, from your experience, I mean, I know that it wasn't necessarily the target of the book, but you work with firms on organizational change. Is it happening? How can it happen? Or if I'm an individual in an organization and I really just want something different and, and I've determined I want something better, do I have to just leave and go to an organization that has those values? Or, or how do you see organizations changing to accommodate employees wanting to be on purpose? If you look at organizations, um, it only takes a small percent of people to actually make some of those changes, Pete, that can then affect the entire organization. I think of IBM, right? Everybody knows their culture. Uh, there was a woman, her name was Susan. She said, you know what? We need to do things differently. So what she started doing is she made a decision in her, her work team. She wasn't going to tell anybody what to do or check in on, on project milestones. She was going to have people come to her and she was going to only have, she went and got certified as a coach. So she could really understand how to ask questions, listen better and give feedback, reframe what people said. The outcome was to make a long story short is the performance of her group absolutely rose to the top. And her peers started coming to her and saying, hey, Susan, can you teach me to lead the way you're doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, everybody wants to be part of your team. Nobody's leaving. And you guys are getting more work done. And you're leaving the building by five or six at night. Nobody's staying, you know, pulling all-nighters. She said, yeah, here's what I'm doing. She shared with them. Well, that became an initiative across IBM to bring in a coaching culture. Um, and here's just another example. Like, I think, honestly, going through this time of adversity, people aren't going to remember exactly what we did or what we said, but they are going to remember how we showed up and how we made them feel. So one of my clients, he's an executive. He has 85,000 employees. He's uh, head of operations and logistics for a big company. And I said, okay, tell me, you know, I knew all of his key direct reports. And there was one woman in particular that was kind of the linchpin for their success as they transitioned into this remote environment there. Uh, uh, and I said, how's she doing? And he started telling me all the things that she had done. Hey, she redid this. She did this. She got the line going. She redid all the schedules. She figured out who's essential, who's remote. It was a, this amazing list of accomplishments. But I said, yeah, but how is she doing personally? He said, I don't, I don't know. I think she's doing great because she's doing all this work. I said, well, how, would, how could you find out? Well, he called her and they ended up having a two-hour conversation, Pete. Because he said, how are you doing? So he started telling all the st work stuff again. He said, no, 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 I got all that. But how are you doing personally? 
she's one of those people that would run through a brick wall for us. She's amazing. But she started, she was, you know, you talk about burnout and overwhelm, dude, she was at her limit. Her mother-in-law was living with her in her nineties with COPD. She was scared to death. If she got COVID, she'd, you know, she'd die. Her husband had MS. If he got COVID, she was scared to death that it could be a life-changing event for him. She had to go into work. She was washing her hands every 10 minutes, double masking, totally stressed out. And this guy had no idea what, you know, that this was, that she was doing all this at work without ever complaining. And she was literally probably about to break. She would have been one of those people that says, I, I got to quit. I'm going to go find another job somewhere else, either in this or, you know, giant company or somewhere else. It was so mean. And this is, this is also not his normal kind of mode of communication with his team. It made such an impact on him that he cleared his calendar for the next two days, canceled meetings and met with every single one of his direct reports to have a similar conversation. And that was the start of that team coming together in a way that it had never done before. And then he pulled together the entire team as a group and said, hey, we all just had these one-on-one conversations. I think we need to talk about this as a team because what's happening out in the world and with this virus and the demands of our customers, um, they're in the defense industry and the culture that we have here at work, it, I absolutely can see how this could just not overwhelming us. And guess what? We've been here all here 25 to 30 years. We're the mature ones. How do you even think this is affecting our direct reports and so on and so on and so on and so on. And that was the start of a change that was, um, um, you know what? They kept their people and they got the job done and they didn't, and they had very low turnover over the last 12 months. And in that case, it sounds like, you know, making um, organization change is, is taking that personally and, you know, kind of leaning into those relationships and, um, helping to connect, you know, number one with the relationships, I guess at that point you have the, the potential to tie into purpose and, and connect on that level, but it's almost like a sense of urgency to connect personally. It, I think so. I mean, that would be a whole nother conversation, a whole nother podcast on how to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, a takeaway from this, right, is we have to take an interest in each of the people on our team. They are not objects to help us accomplish business goals. They are people that are showing up to do work. And there's a reason that they work at your company. There's a reason that they work for you. And there's a a reason that they took this job in the first place. And I think if we just even have some short conversations about what those are, and we just get to know people, it's going to help us, right? Leadership is really all about having a positive influence. About it's, It's about equipping others. How do I really have a positive influence and equip others to do their job better? I don't know who they are. I know the job description. I know the skill sets required for a role. If that's all I focus on, it's pretty easy for me to, when the recruiter calls, just say, yeah, let's go meet for coffee. How how does today sound? Because I didn't have any of those kind of relationships at that organization. It was pretty easy for me at that point to just say, yeah, let's go meet. Right. And as a, as a leader, I mean, it, it just, when, when you're on purpose, 
you can, as you mentioned in the beginning, you can help other people find their purpose and connect that to business goals. And, um, and it's a much healthier organization and much healthier individuals. Yeah. Cause think about it. if you sat down with somebody who's new or somebody who's been there for 10 years and you go through this, you say, Hey, you know, Pete, can I share some with you? I've really been doing some thinking. I just want to share with you why, you know, why I've been here for 30 years or, you know, I've been here for three years. Here's why I started here. Here's what it does for me. This job is, this is what it does for me on the outside. These are the things that get me excited, right? Uh, this is why I love showing up every day. You know, what is that for you? People love to talk about themselves. And I know a lot of people are uncomfortable having a conversation like that. Every single person I've ever talked to who's had a conversation like that, the feedback was, oh my gosh, that was like the most amazing conversation ever. My, you know, the person I had it with, shared things with me I never thought I'd hear. It was amazing. I learned some real challenges that they were going through and I'm going to help them with it. Uh, we talked about how to do their job better, how to get in alignment and connect some dots. And also some people say, yeah, the dots are not connectable. This is not the place they need to be. And I had an employee like that. And after we had a conversation like that, what I told him, he was my number one producer, by the way, Pete. And I said, you know, the way you're wired, who you are, your skills and talents, you could stay here and have a great career. But I really think you should go start your own company. You're the kind of guy that needs to go do that and you'll succeed. And um, we can still work together. And he actually went and did that. I, and my boss was furious that I gave that advice to one of my best employees. And he went and did that and absolutely crushed it. It was what he was meant to do. Because if I care more about the individual, and then my team saw that happen. My team didn't all, they didn't want to leave. But they saw that I'm, you know, that I'm, I'm walking the talk that I, that I was talking about. And it, it just, it, even just little things like that just brought our team together. I'm not telling you to tell all your employees to leave. But if you think it's pretty clear that this isn't the right place, the culture, the mission, the job for them, go help them find something else. And then bring somebody in to fill that role that really does fit. Right. And I, and I, well, you know, as I, we've been, I could speak to you longer, but I know, you know, you don't have an infinite schedule here. And, and so, I, you know, I want to, you know, talking so much about purpose individually and, and purpose, you know, helping our team find purpose um, in order to, to have more success on, on multiple different levels. I mean, I want to thank you for writing this book because there's there's so much of what you've put in there as far as to help us, you know, individuals seek greater purpose um, and to encourage us to be able to find that it, uh, and, and, and an actual pathway to do so. But it has so many ramifications on our team and throughout our organizations when we're able to do so. Um, but, you know, as, as we close, is there anything else that you'd like to share or add in terms of helping us find purpose, um, personally and professionally, and even organizationally? Yeah. Um, here's the, here's the cool thing about, I think this process is, you know, figuring out really who you are at your best self and, in, in, in creating that self-awareness and putting in, making some of these changes, what it did for me, Pete was open up possibilities and direction and having really a clarity, what it allowed for me to, is to create this um, personal strategic action plan, almost like a flight plan. 
you know, like a mission briefing back when I was flying combat. And I knew exactly those small steps we talked about. I knew what to do every day. And I knew the right thing at the right time in the right way on how to do it. And I got to tell you, for me, uh, the level, I think, of joy, of, of peace, of accomplishment, of fulfillment that kind of flooded in as I made these changes was uh, what I'd always been um, searching for in the past. And so what I'd like to tell people is that is in front of you. It is possible. And when you do it for yourself, you can do it for one other person. Think about that. What if you do it for yourself and then do it for 10 people, right? What if those 10 people have such a transformative change that they do it for 10 other people? That's why our company is called Beyond Influence because now, because you just so worked on yourself and then sewed into 10 other people, now 100 people have had a positive change in their life. And what if 100 people, what if they go out and help 10 other people each, Right? Now you're at, what is that, 10,000 people? And so on and so on. You know, I, I honestly look at everything happening in our culture, our society, politics, uh, these big things that we need to challenge. We can't wait and let government do it. But if we, you know, these small steps that we can take as human beings, I think we could, we could in, in the course of just a few short years, make a huge impact in just all, all of our lives and our cultures and our communities. I really do. Hmm. Well, well, well said. I mean, really, it, we can rewrite our own script personally mm-hmm. and, and have that sort of influence beyond. How, how can listeners get in touch with you um, to learn more about, you know, what you do, your coaching, consulting, and, and the book? Yeah, just go to beyondinfluence.com. And I'd love to have everybody go to beyondinfluence.com forward slash book. You can pre-order a book. Um, I know, uh, Pete, you've already read it. And, you know, the book comes out on April 27th. Anybody that does that or you want to um, also, if anybody wants to order books for their team and go through it and have me come in and, you know, speak at a lunch and learn or come in and do a master class. I've been doing that for a number of different organizations. I love just coming in and sharing. It's really interactive. Like you saw, like last Thursday night, there's a just a lot of conversations. It's not me just coming in and talking. And um and then I'm on all the social media. Just search for John Ramstead on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. I'm Jay Ramstead. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty accessible. Hmm. Well, thank you again for your time. Thank you for writing the book and, and thank you for coming on and, and sharing the book and helping to inspire us in terms of purpose. Like it was so busy as professionals doing great work. It, it is, it's hard to sometimes invest in ourselves um, and even when we were feeling that smoldering discontent, we, we've got to, I mean, thank you for your words of inspiration so we can push beyond that to really find our, our purpose. Yeah, thank you for, you know what, you've just been such a great example of living on purpose. I've watched you transition from what you were doing, um, running your engineering company that you built. It was one of the bigger ones on the East Coast and to what you're doing now, Pete, uh, I remember when you first called me and said, hey, here's what's been going on and here's what I'm doing. I was, I was totally inspired and you made this transition successfully uh, in my opinion, because you've been on purpose this entire time. And I, that is just a powerful force, isn't it? It's um, it's freeing and encouraging and inspiring to kind of 
Yes, I agree. Yeah. Good stuff. So I'd love to hear from people. I'd love to have you buy the book or buy a whole bunch of books and have me come talk to your team. And I, that, I just love serving leaders. I mean, that's why I do what I do. So. All right. Well, excellent. Well, thank you again um, very much and great seeing you. And I can't wait to see you again next time. All right. Thanks, Pete. Keep knocking them alive. Take care. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please also share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to continue to get us established, and I truly appreciate that. And it also helps to get the word out to others so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others both inside and beyond our organizations. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.